I love you, Luke. Uh, you're a good man. It's good stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll share my story real quick. Uh, I went to Israel with Corey and Micah back in 2012 and had this fascination with, with Israel. And uh, obviously we're going again this year. But when I came home, I, most of you know my, my uh, hobby is baseball. So there was this uh, document documentary on uh, uh, baseball in Israel. Like the Major League Baseball was trying to start a league in Israel, right? And one of the teams was in Jerusalem, and this dude sitting on the Temple Mount talking about his faith. And and they had American; these were American players that were had gone over there to start this league. And I was just enthralled by the whole thing. And at the very end, the credits rolled by, and this one guy's name rolls across, and it said, uh, Fishers, Indiana. So you know me. I creeped on him. <laughs> Contacted him, found it on Facebook. We went to breakfast. This is about five years ago. And uh, today my friend Josh and Carmen are sitting here today. And, and uh, he is a huge encouragement to me and has been these years just... Uh, messaging and talking and uh, praise for me and for us and um, I'm thankful for you that you're that you're here today my baseball friend and Jesus lover got God's word so uh, he's a lover of God's word pretty cool that's the way God works uh, and he actually had one of the best batting averages in the league you were like three, what, do you remember what it was? Like 320 something? 380. Sorry. 380. He does remember. But uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal that uh, God has allowed us to be together. And uh, he's yet to see my office, so it'll be fun. Uh, but today we're talking about Jesus. We get, we'll get on with it here. And. Uh, I'm excited because as you as you tie this whole thing together, we, we started this thing last summer, going through the Gospels. We're on week 45 or 46, something like that, going through the Gospels. And we're coming now down to the last week of Jesus' life. It's Passover, it's coming up. And you couldn't have timed it any better for us to be right in the middle of this season, what we refer to as Lent season, not us, but just our religious people around us refer to it as Lent. And as we come into this this time of the Passover season, it would almost seem like we've planned this thing out. But trust me, we haven't. It's just falling this way, and I'm only about halfway through the Gospels. So we're not going to get through the Gospels probably until Christmas, all right? So it's going to take a long time to get through this last week of Jesus' life. So just hang with me, but this is where we are. So one of the last things that happened is this story about a little tax man who climbed up in a tree. Everybody remember singing this song? Troy, would you like to sing it for us? Not today, he says. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. How's it go? Madison, I should have asked you to do it. 
You guys keep going. Uh, so, so here we are. We're in Luke chapter 19, and this is the story of Zacchaeus. It says he entered Jericho, and remember we talked about this uh, last week. There was some confusion because it said he left Jericho and he entered Jericho. We know that the Jericho that he left was the Jericho of the Old Testament that Joshua defeated and Joshua was living in. And then the new Jericho that he was coming into, it was built by King Herod. King Herod had built this, and this is the Jericho that he's coming into is the one that King Herod has now built. It says he entered Jericho and was passing through. Remember, he was on his way to Jerusalem. There was a man named Zacchaeus. I found this interesting, but you know what the word Zacchaeus actually means? It means righteous one. (laughs) If you know his role, he was anything but righteous but became righteous. So watch this. It says, There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was a wealthy man. Well, there's a reason that he's wealthy. First of all, he's a Jew, and we know that uh, he's a Jew because Jesus pretty much declares that at the end of this story. But here's the interesting thing is he went to the Roman emperor, the Roman empire, and he said, I want to be a tax collector. In fact, I will pay you to allow me to be a tax collector. That's what tax collectors did. They bought their positions. And so then they would go to their own people, the Jews, and they would collect taxes that they owed Caesar. And not only did they collect the taxes that they owed Caesar, but there was a surcharge on there you're familiar with surcharges you buy an airplane ticket and along with that airplane ticket if you want to upgrade if you want to put your luggage on there if you want to do all this all these additional expenses this is what a tax collector did he collected as much money as he needed to make a living as well and to pay for the position that he bought from the roman empire so let's be honest zacchaeus was a jew And he worked for the Gentiles. You can understand why the Jews did not like the tax collectors. Because they literally stole their money and gave it to the Roman Empire. So Zacchaeus was considered a wicked man. He was considered very rich. Now that is what I would call earthly rich. But we see also that he is eternally bankrupt. Watch what happens here. It says, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. He was a wee little man, Zacchaeus. He had a short stature to him. So running ahead... He climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since it was about to pass that way. Now, let's picture this real quick because here's what's happening. Is Jesus is coming down the road with his disciples, the Pharisees, everybody's following him. And it's almost like the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Literally, when Jesus walks through the area, people, so many people are following him, and, and everybody wants to touch him, everybody wants to see him, everybody wants to talk to him. They just want to be around Jesus. So if you're a short little man, all of a sudden you have this picture of this short little man running down the road, 
and it's almost like he's a little boy. And this little boy man jumps into a tree. I got to see this Jesus. I want to see who the people say that he really is. And so now, here's this, watch. It's curiosity and it's simplicity rolled up into one like a little child. Just like when Jesus says, you have to be a, have a childlike faith. So similar. And so Zacchaeus is now in the tree. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, <laughs> Zacchaeus. Can you imagine what that would be like to hear Jesus call your name? I mean, think about that for a second. Zacchaeus. Whoa, how do you even know my name? Hurry and come down because today it is necessary necessary for me to stay at your house. <laughs> what? Zacchaeus is up the tree. He knows my name. And wait, this guy that everybody's following, he's coming to my house? Oh, could you imagine? He probably fell out of the tree. <laughs> uh, seriously, like you got to go home and get things together because he just said, I'm coming to your house. Now, I find, I find this interesting is that In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, guess what? They hid and God went and sought them out, right? Zacchaeus is in a tree and Jesus goes and seeks him out. And I believe today the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that Luke was talking about up here, goes and seeks out those that are lost through the church. I'm not talking the institutional church. I'm talking about you, the church. If that spirit that Luke's talking about lives inside of each one of us and we just live our day-to-day and we're walking by the spirit, I guarantee you people are watching and listening and smelling the aroma that you're putting off. And they probably are interested in what you're doing. Now, that's different from a religious person. That's different. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I find it interesting that Jesus models seeking after the lost. He not only models it, but he says it. Verse 6, it says, So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And of course, everybody's freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. Jesus, the rabbi, the guy that's claiming to be the Messiah is going to go to the house of a sinner. The guy that's like ripping us all off. That mean Zacchaeus dude. Jesus is going to go. He he could have chosen anybody to hang out with, but he chose Zacchaeus? Really? What does this say about Jesus? It was absolutely at that point politically incorrect verse 7 all who saw it began to complain he's gone to stay with a sinful man oh i love it that gives me a, a directive you hear me it gives me a directive to say it's okay to hang out with the worst of the worst Because the worst of the worst 
need the best of the best. It's okay. I don't care what you think, who I hang out with. The only thing that matters is who the Spirit tells me to hang out with. That's what matters. You may associate me with sinful people. It's all right. Know my heart. Know my heart. I want to be just like Jesus. It says, <clears throat> you, you realize the Jewish people, from a Jewish perspective, they saw the tax collectors on the same level as the harlots. Seriously. They, they saw them as the same level, and there was no way they could have salvation. No way. There's no way that this man's saved. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. You know what just happened here? <laughs> Watch what happened here. I believe that when Jesus called out to Zacchaeus and said, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus didn't just sit in the tree. He jumped down and said, absolutely. I believe you're the Messiah. Come to my house. And Lord, just to make things right, here's what I want to do. You know what we call that? repentance it took his faith to come down out of the tree and it took his repentance to say lord i've changed my mind about my behavior i've changed and guess where repentance came from it didn't come from zacchaeus it came from god because god because paul says in romans it's god who leads to repentance through his kindness Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come on, I'm coming to your house. It was through Jesus' kindness that caused Zacchaeus to say, I repent of my sin, and I believe that you're the Messiah. That's a beautiful thing. It's not based upon, Zacchaeus, you dirty little rotten sinner, you need to have me as your... It wasn't anything like that. Zacchaeus, you're important. I'm coming to your house Zacchaeus said, absolutely. <laughs> Think about this for a second. Jesus came to Zacchaeus' home, his home, where the man is the master of the home, and now all of a sudden in that, that exchange of communication, Zacchaeus became the guest, and Jesus became his master. That's pretty cool. A total role reversal right there. We call that total transformation. When you can allow Jesus to be the master of your life. Verse 9, it says, Jesus is talking. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, you go, okay, we'll just skim right over that, but the cool thing here is that jesus said you are a son of abraham he didn't say you are the son of abraham and there's a good reason he used a instead of the 
Because if we go back to Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus had, had healed the blind man from birth, the Pharisees and the Jews pretty much said, hey, you're doing all these miracles under the power of Beelzebub from the evil one. And Jesus said, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. And because you have just blasphemed the spirit, you will not see this truth. Your generation will die. If you don't believe that I'm the Messiah, you will die. And then that's when he began speaking in parables because the Jews weren't going to be able to hear the truth. He was telling stories and the parable started in Matthew chapter 12. So watch this. He didn't say none of the Jews can be saved. In fact, we see throughout the New Testament that several Jews believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Obviously, Zacchaeus is one of them. And so he said singularly, a son of Abraham, not the son, not the nation, not the nation of the Jews, but you, the individual Jew, are a son of Abraham. It's a big difference here. Even though they were cut off, they were going to die, there were still some Jews that were able to see that Jesus truly was the Messiah. Verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is, this is truly the evangelist verse right here. That Jesus came to save and seek the lost. I grew up uh, Southern Baptist. First Baptist Church, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Went to Oklahoma Baptist University. Went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Worked at Northside Baptist Church uh, here in Indianapolis for 18 years. I'm Southern Baptist through and through, denominationally. And as we learned, as we learned how to evangelize, you would take classes, you would take trainings, you would wear bracelets, you would wear necklaces, you would have all these different training things that you would study and you'd memorize verses. There was this faith thing that. We took classes for weeks and then we'd have to go out and knock on doors and evangelize people and you just had to like, it was pressure. You knocked on a door scared to death because you were selling something and you didn't know what the response was going to be. Well, I'll tell you this. Ten years ago, I walked away from that. I walked away from that and I started teaching grace. And I just made a table at Panera and Sunrise Cafe and Starbucks and just sat down and started loving on people. And it is the greatest evangelism tool that I've ever experienced in my life is walking by the Spirit and trusting what He leads me to say. To love you to love others in the midst of their crisis and chaos i'm not the counselor he's the counselor i'm just sitting there loving crying with you get it right it's just literally walking by the spirit 
there's a difference between the systematic approach of evangelism and walking by the Spirit. I truly believe it. I won't ever go back. I won't ever go back. Dilly dilly. And then he gets into this parable. Now the parable, just as I explained, was a story with a hidden truth to it so that the Jews couldn't see it. But again, he wanted to explain the truth to his disciples because he was teaching his disciples in the process. And he wanted them to understand clearly what he was trying to teach. So in verse 11, it says, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. So if he's now left Jericho, he's walking towards Jerusalem. He's got his disciples around with him and he's telling the parable who else is around him. Pharisees and the Jews, they're all around him. Because he's not going to tell a parable to his disciples, he's only going to do that in the midst of the Jews. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. You remember Jesus says, you're going to see one more miracle, you're going to see the miracle of Jonah. And he had just that week raised Lazarus from the dead. And so now they've seen the miracle of Jonah and they expected that Jesus is going to establish this messianic kingdom right there. That he's going to reign for a thousand years and they're just expecting it to happen right there because we've seen that miracle. He said we're going to see one more miracle. And so there was this expectation. It says, <clears throat> therefore he said, a nobleman. Anybody have an idea of who the nobleman might be? That would be Jesus in this story. Stick with me. A nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. In other words, Jesus was in heaven. He traveled to a far country. He came here to earth to be king and then return. This is the nobleman. He called ten of his servants... Ten of his servants, those would be actually believers. People believe that he was the Messiah. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minas, that's coins, and told them, engage in business until I come back. Go about and take these ten minas and invest them. But his subjects, those being the Jews some of them being believers, says hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. That's the Jews and the Pharisees. Jesus is telling this story, yet he's not explaining it like I am to you. Verse 15, it says, at his return, this is talking about when Jesus returns, this has not yet happened, but when Jesus returns again, it says, having received the authority to be king, when he comes back, he will be the king. And he will be recognized. He summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. He says, well done, good servant. You know, they just buried Billy Graham and everybody was saying, man, when Billy Graham got to heaven that he heard those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, every time that that's used in scripture, it's referred to as living through the second coming. It's not referred to this point right here, but through the second coming. Just a little side note there. He says, 
Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter. Have, a, have authority over ten towns. Now that you've invested in these ten minas, you're going to have authority over ten whole towns. You're going to have responsibility. He received a reward. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you'll be over five towns. He too received a reward. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you are a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. Now, as we sit there and understand this parable, I believe it's important that you know that the nobleman is Jesus. The nobleman is Jesus. And for you to actually know the heart of the nobleman. Because you see, what this third man did is he says, I was afraid of you. Because you're a harsh person. He had a totally different perspective of the nobleman than the first two men. The first two men gladly served the nobleman. The third one was scared. Look, if I could tell you one thing, know the heart of your father. He loves you. He cares about you. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. He is a good God. Sometimes I take it upon myself to try to defend him. <laughs> I have to defend him to other believers. He really, he's, he's not the harsh person that you think he is. And watch, 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 watch. If I believe that my God is a good God, I'll serve him all day long. I'll walk with that spirit all day long. I'll listen to that spirit. I'll be obedient to that spirit. I'll do whatever that spirit leads me to do. If I think he's a harsh God, then I'm out there working and churning. I got to do this for life. I got to get, I got to get going because I got to save people because I, I don't get judged eventually and get hammered for this. There's two totally different perspectives here, people. Two, I, I've been one, and I'm not going back. Two totally different mindsets. Yes, Jesus calls us to invest in the business. I'm investing. I'm hanging out. But I'm doing it through his kindness. Not through his system. Not, it's not his system. That's, I, I, I honestly believe that when I watch this, when I say religion, I believe that that's the devil's work. Because if it's religion and it's a system, nobody wants it. But if you can tell them about the goodness of God and the greatness of God and how he loves you, people will listen to you big difference now it's interesting this third 
man, he was still a believer. He was still a believer. It wasn't talking about salvation. He hadn't lost his salvation. He had his salvation. But the way that he lived his life was totally different. If you misinterpret the heart of the nobleman, then you're going to live in fear. And you're going to miss out on all that he has set aside for you. Verse 22, it says, he told them, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. You could have at least just stuck it in the bank and got your little 1%. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. But they said to him, Master, he's got 10. Why are you giving him more? He's like, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. That to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Look, I believe as believers that we've been entrusted with a gift. We have been entrusted with a gift. You go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and it says this, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Last week I posted a picture of this very room right here. And I said, one body, one body, many parts. I believe the many parts is that God has gifted all those that are believers in Jesus Christ in this room with a special spiritual gift, and it's all different. Some of them may be very similar, but everybody in this room has been gifted the moment that you believe that you've been gifted with a spiritual gift. You may not know what that is. The only way that you're going to figure out what that is is not by taking a test. But by getting to know the spirit inside of you and being able to listen to him, to what he's called you to do, and with it lines up with your soul, your personality, who you are, you're going to figure out what that gift is. You'll figure it out. And you know it's going to change. It's going to change over the years. What was one giftedness? I believe the Lord can do that. Now watch this. You're either going to plug your life, plug into your life, or you're going to plug into religion. The difference between living a life of religion and a life by the Spirit really has to do with quality. doesn't have to do with salvation. Watch this. Everybody in this room that believes that Jesus is the Savior and Messiah, the Son of God, and has forgiveness of all of our sins, we're all the same. You, me, we're all the same. No one's better than the other person. You hear me? I'm not better than you just because I'm standing here on stage teaching God's word. I'm not better than you. But I do do believe that there is a quality of life that's different, and it's based upon how you listen to the Spirit and how you're obedient to the Spirit. I I do believe that that's true. That that quality of life is offered to all. It's just a matter of what you choose to do with it. 
And then, you know, let me clarify about the judgment thing. If this third man believes that Jesus is a harsh man, here's what I do know. I believe that there's two judgments. The first judgment that I want to share with you real quick as we wrap this thing up is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, it says, Each one's work will become obvious. Like, when we die, rapture comes, taken up to heaven, there's going to be this judgment seat of Christ. It says, For that day we'll disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, here's what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers, those that believe that Jesus is Messiah. Everything that you've done through the Spirit, the Spirit's done through you, I believe will survive the fire. Everything that you've done through your own flesh and your own strength is going to burn up. That's the difference. And I believe that we'll be rewarded. When we come back to reign with Christ for a thousand years, I think that he's going to give responsibilities out based upon what you did here on earth by walking by the Spirit. And I only say that because of what it says in the Scripture. Now, the second judgment is the great white throne judgment, which is found in Revelation chapter 20. And the great white throne judgment is, again, at the end times, and that's there to separate uh, those that, at the end times, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he says, depart from me. They never, ever, ever received Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of their life. If you're a believer in this room, you won't face that judgment. You, know, you, you, you get the good judgment. The one about the works, that's, that's going to be a cool thing. That's going to be a cool thing. But the great white throne judgment, so look. I'm removing all fear from you right here. Seriously, there's nothing to fear. We have a good God that loves you and cares about you, and he wants to work through you. He wants to work through you. And I close. Verse 27, it says, But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. That would be those that are unredeemed at the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. You sit there and say, ah, that had to been 70 A.D. when all the Jews died at the hands of the Romans. No, but he's, if you keep this in context, he's talking about the second coming. So it has to do with the great white throne judgment. Now, I wanted to get into some of the historical dates that we're getting ready to like come to because now uh, as we as Jesus approaches Jerusalem he comes in on the 8th the 8th day of the first month month which is Nisan and I wanted to take you through Passover but I'm saving that all right For, you have to come back in 2 weeks 2 weeks uh that's when we'll pick up because we're doing music week next week but I think there's there there's a beautiful picture here as we get into the Easter season the Easter season where you can take 
the scripture and you can take actual historical dates and you can take all the traditions of the Jewish culture and you can tie it all together and go, this is for real. We say it's a faith thing, but not only is it a faith thing, this really happened. There's no denial that Jesus was crucified on a cross. That's historically proven. Jesus died on a cross in 30 AD. And that's where we'll be going the next few weeks. So Lord, uh, as we unpack all this scripture and just your word, one, I pray that uh, it's clear. It's, It's your responsibility to make it clear to your people, not mine. So I trust that you'll do that today. Trust that uh, each person here will go and and seek out the word themselves and figure out that you really are a kind, gentle, generous, loving God. And that you care about them deeply. That you love them in the midst of the chaos of this fallen world. So, Father, thanks for my friends here today. Thanks for allowing us to be together just to uh, just to hang out, to love one another in the midst of these, these times. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.